Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Um, last week we kicked off a new series, and uh, we just called it Playing in the Rain. And we're just looking at this concept about the fact that the Lordship of Jesus and embracing him as Lord of our lives is not as scary as it sounds. In fact, it's liberating. We tend to think of Lordship as this really ugly thing and we look at pop culture and and Lord in a negative light is everywhere. There's no positive, benevolent, wonderful Lords in culture or movies. In fact, as we were traveling to Galveston, we have these, you know, the wonderful thing for, for the little ones to watch movies and route. And they're watching the Lego movie in the back. So I'm sitting there, get to listen to it in the back and watch it in my head as I'm driving down the road. And so, so I don't have the distractions. We can see it all played out. And Lego movie is one of our family favorites. We enjoy it. But the word Lord shows up in the Lego movie. And it's Lord business. And he's going to take over the world and use the craggle and make everything his way because he's a, he's a control freak and he wants everything just his way. And that whole Lord thing finds its way in there with this concept of, of controlling and manipulative and, and single-minded and all these different things. And when we look at the scriptures, we've got a God who loves us and his lordship is a liberating thing. But we can put the brakes on and we can kind of hold things back if we think that him being Lord means about us losing everything instead of us gaining everything. In our family, we have a little little phrase that we got picked up when we went on our first family cruise a couple of years ago. And, you know, you get on the boat and... You know, there's, you, you see food, you see activities, all these things. And, and the kids would always go, hey, can we do this? Is, is it free? And I'm thinking of the, the money I spent. Uh, it is not free, but it's included. You can enjoy it. It's included. Go do it. It's not an upcharge. It's included. And so then we would come to the next little thing, and they're like, is it free? And, and so, and they're like... Um, no, it's not free. It's included. Enjoy it. So now we have a phrase in our house of just, uh, it's included. Yes, go do it. It's included. Go enjoy. And so then we went and stayed at a little resort outside of Austin, and they had some stuff that was included, and, and my kids enjoyed all the included stuff, and they had some stuff that wasn't included, and we stayed away from those things. <laughs> and so, and, uh, but we, we, had a, we had a great time. But one of the things we have to understand and one of, the, one of the beautiful discoveries of being a Christ follower is growing in an understanding and a discovery of what's included in our salvation. Of that when Jesus paid it all, he paid it all. And there's so much that's included. There's so much that comes along with it. And we only get what's included when we let him into that area of our lives. If we want to live in a place of financial peace in our lives where we rest on him as a God and as our Lord in that area, 
It can only exist when we give him lordship of that area. If we want him to be lord in the area of our relationship and, and with our, our spouse, it only exists when we let, let him be lord in that place and honor him and what he has to say about how we treat one another and defer to one another and forgive one another and all of those different things. And, and when, when we push him out, then all that's included in that area gets pushed out with it because it's, it's part of the package. And so in this playing in the rain, what I want this to be, the series to be, is a discovery of what's included when Jesus is Lord. When we let him be Lord, when we let him be the one who is in control of our lives and showing us where life-giving choices are to be made and where destructive choices need to be avoided. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and, and get into your notes. If you're following with the Version app, you just click right along with us. Because we keep, we're going to come to this truth over and over again that letting Jesus be Lord in our lives is the most liberating thing that we can do. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 says, Now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. It's counterintuitive. Normally we say where the spirit of the Lord, of this guy who's in control of everything, well, there's rules and there's regulations and there's all of this strict stuff. No, it's not the truth. It's where the spirit of, of lordship exists. Then there's freedom and then Paul goes on to write and says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. When we think about how awesome and wonderful and amazing God is, when we think about his glory, his love for us, his commitment to us, who he is, his, his, his giving nature, who God, Papa God is in our lives. When we contemplate, we think about, we meditate on his glory. We're being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. We start out with a place as soon as we believe what Jesus has done on our behalf. That we believe that he paid the price. That, that all sin and shame has been dealt with. It was nailed to the cross. It's dealt with forever. And that we can have a new life in Christ. And we believe that. We place our faith in that. We step over from death into life. And that is glorious. That's glory. We're heaven ready right at that moment when we receive what Christ has done. And we can still sit there and, and have all sorts of stuff that needs to come out of our lives and be messed with out of our lives. But we are, we are ready. One of my favorite stories of one of my <clears throat> pastors as I was in, uh, coming up with in the college group. Pastor John, who was here a few weeks ago, his best friend was a guy named Terry Sparks, and he pastors a church in Sulphur Springs. And Terry Sparks would share the story about when he came to Christ. And Terry Sparks was an old hippie Jesus movement guy. And, and uh, Terry, back in the day, if, if he was alive today and a young man, he, he lived in Colorado or, or Northern California or any place where there's plenty of, of grass and weed available. <laughs> And uh, Terry came to Christ, and he understood who Jesus was and what he did in his life. And he said, man, he was so excited that, that he went home, and he rolled the biggest joint in his life, and he smoked and worshiped Jesus. 
and just, and just had the, the best time worshiping Jesus. And most people would say, oh my gosh, what, what on earth has gone on? He understood. He had been a guy who smoked dope and got high all the time that was going straight to hell. Now he's a guy who smoked dope and got high all the time. That was heaven ready. <laughs> that had a relationship with God and had a real opportunity to be transformed and to be changed. Guess what? The Holy Spirit that was alive in him in that moment was confirming to him in that moment that he was a child of God. And then as he began to trust God, he began to go, you know what? I don't have to sit there and smoke this stuff to be at rest. I have the Prince of Peace in my life. I don't have to smoke peace. I have peace. And he could let that go out of his life. And he began to be transformed from the inside out. But he was heaven ready smoking weed. Folks, we have to understand the transformation part of this that's included. Transformation is included. That it is us to begin to reveal more and more and more of who Jesus is in our lives. We're being moved into a greater glory. From one glory to the next glory. That is what he's wanting to do in our lives. And, and every time a, a piece of the the shell of life that gets caked on. The little chunk that we put on to protect ourselves because we got hurt by our family or we got hurt by our friends or we think we're not good enough and we put all of this stuff on. Every time a little piece of that comes off and the real us begins to show up, well, guess what? That's, that's a new glory. You ever see on YouTube somebody uh, cut a diamond they have this diamond, this rough diamond, and it doesn't look that pretty. Then they take it in each one of those facets. They cut it down, and then they start creating each one of those facets. Well, guess what? There's going to be a beautiful little cut, a beautiful little facet there, and the rest of it's all raw. But guess what got revealed in that first cut? A glory, a sparkle, a beauty. And then as it stays in that master Jim Cutter's hands... It gets turned, and there's another one that gets cut. And then there's another glory. And then it gets cut again. And there's another glory that's revealed. And there's another glory. And you stop halfway through the process, and one side can look all like ready for the solitaire, and the other side look like you would ignore it on the side of the road. But it is still in process. This is the, what Paul is talking about. But guess what? It was a diamond the whole time. Why did Jesus die for you in your rough, rough, ugly mess of a life? Because you were a diamond to him the whole time. The whole time. And as you get put in his hands, then the rest of everything begins to be revealed. And that's where transformation takes place. And we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord. So many times we can, we can get wrapped up in these things that, well, man, God's, God's gift to you is salvation, and your gift to him is what you do with it. Oh. Oh. You know what your gift to him is? It's being in relationship with him. Saying, good morning, Daddy. Thank you for loving me. Talking to him. Being in relationship with him, not stonewalling him, not holding him out. It's not going around and preaching everything and all that. That's an outflow of love. 
We start loving God, and then we begin to love others enough that we'll be a little uncomfortable and have some awkward conversations to help tell people about who Jesus is and what he's done. 2 Corinthians 3, 8, this, this passage in the New King James Version says, But we all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. When you get into the Greek, that is what Paul's talking about. It's when we look into the mirror, we hold up a mirror. What we ought to see is the nature of God, the, that picture, and begin to see, man, that's spilling out over onto us. That's spilling out onto me. I ought to be, when I see him, I ought to be seeing myself inside of that. That is the imagery that Paul is trying to create. Seeing as our lives change as the Holy Spirit reveals the true us. Romans 8.18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. This is Paul. He's, and he's using the word us. It's like, oh, your present sufferings are for, for, for what the glory that will be revealed in you. Now, this is the guy who's writing the scripture saying, God, guess what? God's still revealing himself in me and he's still revealing himself in you. And some of the tension and some of the issues and the problems and the degrading, the suffering that comes along in that process, man, it can't compare with what God is wanting to reveal in our nature. Paul writes to Titus and he says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. What teaches us? It says, the grace of God has appeared. And it describes that grace that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no. Grace of the grace of God teaches us to say no. To say no to ungodliness. It's not all these pressures from the outside. It's not all of this other stuff. It's the grace of God at work in our lives. It's God saying, I'm for you. I love you. I've given you a better life than this. Say no to ungodliness and yes to what's included in what I've provided for you. It's this grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age. I love it that Paul put that in this present age. Because so, so many times we could have this mindset that, well, one day when I shed this old shell, I'm finally done with this old hard life. In the sweet by and by, I'm going to be able to do it. I'm going to be able to live the godly life one day there in the presence of God. No, what Paul's saying is the grace of God teaches us to say no in this present age. To live this God-revealing, God-showing-off kind of life in this age. In the middle of this mess. In the middle of this world. In the middle of your workplace. In the middle of your family. In the middle of, of your school, in the middle of, of what's going on in this culture. That his grace lets us live in that area. He goes on to say that while we wait for this blessed hope, the appearing of the Lord, our, 
of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things that you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Don't let anyone despise you. So who's doing the work? It's Jesus. He's wanting to purify for himself a people. So how does that happen? We let him be Lord. That's how it happens. We let him be Lord in our lives. We go, God, there's a tension between what I want to do and the way I want to make decisions and the way I want to live and the way your word speaks and the way the Holy Spirit is directing me. And I'm going to choose to go your way. I'm going to choose to make my will come under your will. And that's all lordship is. Let's take my will and put it under your will, Lord. And that's it. You get to make the decisions. You get to guide me in this area. See, godliness takes place. Remember, his grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Well, then what gets left? What's, it's, it's godliness. And godliness is... When our lives reflect the heart of God. Romans 5, 6 says, You see then at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So we have to recognize that when we come to God, we come to him in an ungodly state. Okay? Let's just put this to rest right now. If you think you need to become a little more godly before you decide to give your life to God, uh, it can't happen. It can't happen. All you're going to do in the process is delude yourself and you're going to throw some self-righteousness on the mix. That's all you're going to do. No, we give him where we are, what we have. That's where we are. We all start in this place of ungodliness. So since we all start in this place of ungodliness, it makes sense that growing as a Christ follower would mean growing in godliness, which can be a real scary kind of word. It's got God in there. That all of a sudden now, this God nature is supposed to be how I'm defined? Well, yeah, we're his children. We're his kids. It should be able to be that we are defined by that. Let's go ahead and look at 2 Peter. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who's called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, You may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We have to recognize that not all of our desires are good. Even still as a Christ follower, not all of our desires, he's writing to Christ followers. Not all the things we want are good. So we have to learn to discern between what brings life and what doesn't. So having escaped the corruption in this world caused by evil desires, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge 
and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness. This is something that he is wanting to work in us, revealing his nature, his heart, himself in and through us. Folks, see, a godly life is a life that blesses others. Paul writes to his son in the faith, Timothy. In 1 Timothy 2, it says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. This godliness, when we begin to align and let his nature begin to show up in our lives, it helps his heart. His heart who wants all people everywhere to come and to a knowledge of him, to step into salvation, that's the heart of God. Folks, as we begin to learn this and understand this, then that begins to be the thing that drives us on every front. And I love it that, that Paul talks here about particularly praying for those that are in authority, for those that are the kings and, and the rulers and all of that. I think we can all get pretty frustrated when we see authority figures and, and, and authority structures and all sorts of stuff around the world not aligning with what leads to godliness in life. And here's what Paul tells his number one disciple on what to do. Just pray for him. Pray for him. So that God's heart and remembrance. Because you know what happens when we make someone our enemy? We want them far, far away. We want them far, far away when we make someone our enemy. And you know what? The number one thing that the, the, the real enemy, Satan, the devil wants to do is to divide us among each other. He wants to do it among Christ followers. That's why we celebrate on purpose all the other churches in this community who are doing church a little bit different than us. And some of them might even say that we do it wrong. You know what? If they're pointing people towards Christ, we celebrate them and we love them. We love them. And we're thankful that they're in our community. And we're thankful that the name of Jesus is being lifted up in a little bit different light than, the, than the, maybe the we do it in a little bit different fashion. But that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by him. We celebrate that. Why? Because we will not let the enemy come in and divide us. And then we have to carry it to the next level. What about the, all the people in our community who don't give a rip about church? What about the people that when this became a church, that people thought, what a sad use for this structure. It could have been something better instead of just another church in town. You know what? We love them. We don't want them. We're, we're, we're hoping and praying one day they walk in and go, wow, cool. This is actually kind of church for me. This is the kind of church I'll go to. Like, awesome. We were making a church for people that don't like church. We hope that you don't like churches. Come try ours. We hope you like it. 
We're trying to make a place for people that don't like church feel comfortable at church. But as soon as we let this thing come in here and let someone become our enemy, a person become our enemy, we want them far, far away. And all of a sudden now we, don't, we forget that Jesus died for them, that the gospel is for them, and that the number one thing on our minds and on the tips of our tongue ought to be that we are for them and we want them a part of our family. I believe that's the, that's the number one thing that the, as the enemy has, is, I believe, really overplaying his hands with all this Islamic terror stuff and all this, that is, the more he pushes it, what he's trying to do is make us so afraid of Muslims that we just want them far, far away. Far, far away. One of my cherished pictures on my phone is a picture at Barnes & Noble I took a couple of months ago. As my little five-year-old girl is sitting there reading a book with a couple of little Muslim girls. It's their mom and they're full. About all you can see is eyeballs. And as they're sitting there reading a book together, and I just casually snap the pic. As my little girl is sitting there, she doesn't see an enemy. She doesn't see anybody she needs to be afraid of. She sees, she sees somebody to just share a book with, to just talk to. To just love. Someone she could pray with. Someone, I guarantee you ask her where she wants that little girl to be. She wants her to be with her in heaven just like anybody else. But the enemy wants to come in and divide us. Make us hate. Make us begin to respond in ungodly ways. When God so loved the world that he died for a world that didn't give a rip about him. Don't you think as we grow in godliness we're going to love this world that hates us? If we're growing in godliness, don't you think one of the number one things that's going to differentiate Christ followers is we're going to love and have compassion for people that despise us. They want to rip our rights away. They want to shut us up. They don't understand what we're about. That we're going to love them like God loves them. Oh, please, Lord, help us. God, we're not good at this on our own. We're not. This is the part of your nature that is just so, so not us. Lord, that while we were enemies, while we were enemies, you died for us. While we didn't care, we lived selfish, self-absorbed lives. You love us sent your son God help us to love like that God help us to love like that help us to look at godliness as not something on the outside of a bunch of rules we follow but your nature that shines from us help us to get a new image of what godliness is Lord we need you I think we're just going to wrap it up there. There's some other stuff I plan to say, but I think we need to stop it right there. I want to create a quiet moment right now. First off, I want to talk to the folks that are in this room. They got caught in that thing that I mentioned earlier that... 
you feel like you need to become a little more godly so that you can begin to pursue God. I want to free you right now from, from that lie. Because somehow you thought you weren't good enough to come to church. You weren't good enough to begin the process. There's somebody in here who kind of reluctantly slinked in here. And the truth is you felt uncomfortable the whole service. And I want to talk to you right now. Everybody else in this room can just pause. I want to talk to you. The thing that kept drawing you in here is the Spirit of God. And He wouldn't leave you alone because He loves you. And He sees something you don't see. You don't even like mirrors anymore because you don't like who you see. And I'm here to tell you that God has seen you as a diamond the whole time. That illustration was not in my notes. That was for you. God has seen you as a diamond the whole time. And I'm telling you, if you will let go of your need to be a little bit better, to like yourself a little bit more, before you come to God, I'm telling you, you can see a dramatic turnaround. You can just go ahead and give it to him right now. You're here this morning because he drew you in here. And I don't want to put you on the spot. We're going to have some prayer people up here in just a minute. I don't want to make a spectacle of you. This is between you and God. You were, in fact, you were afraid you were going to be made a spectacle. And God don't want that for you. They're going to come up here, and I just want you to, there'll be a lot of people come up. You won't stand out. And I want you to just come up here with one of these prayer partners and say, what that pastor said, it was, that was me. And I want you to just pray with me. And I want to speak to the rest of us. I want to speak to the rest of us in this moment to where we let God redefine what godliness looks like. Where we let go of this idea that godliness is about avoiding all the bad. And it's not. There are lots of people who live a cleaner life than most of us in this room and are completely ungodly. What godliness is, is letting the heart of God show out. And there's some folks in this room who, who have held on to some places of hate. And you thought you had the right to do it. You thought the other person's wounds to you gave you the right to hang on to that. This morning you see that that hate is keeping you from stepping forward into godliness. That God loves that person. He doesn't condone it. He doesn't condone what they've done. But he loves them. So this morning I just want to pray over you. Heavenly Father. Lord, I just thank you for these that are here today. Lord, those that have held on to a place of hate.
to a place of unforgiveness. And when I said the word enemy, there was a face that came up. Lord, we just release that right now. We take this divine moment with your spirit here and we just turn it loose. I just thank you, Lord, we're just free from that. We let go of it. And we grab a hold of this, Lord, that you love us and you can be trusted. And that hate that we thought that was protecting us, it wasn't. It's holding us back. And Lord, we turn it loose to you. It's all yours. And today we choose to pray. We choose to pray for those that we fear. We choose to pray for those that have hurt us. And choose to let your godliness show up a little more in our lives. And we just thank you, Lord, that it's not by our power, but it's by yours. Because we can't do it. But believe you can. And we thank you for that. We thank you for that. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.